Never mind. Is there a clock at the back? Is there? Oh yeah. Oh no, I can't see that. <laughs> no. I can. I'll just. Um, so it'll be. It'll be nearly five two. So nearly twenty five past mates half an hour. Is that too late though? No, because. I'm, Are you going to have worship at the end? Well, if there's time. So you can just gauge that. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so we may not do wish but the end, you know. Yeah, okay. Okay, I'll just tell Janet. Hello. I'm not sure whether we'll be doing worship at the end or not, just because I'm on a bit later. So, yeah, we'll see how we go. Yeah. Okay. Do you want me to just start or what? Yeah? Okay. Kia ora. Kia ora, welcome. Morena. Hello. <laughs> Good to see you all. Fantastic to be here at East. I haven't been here for a while. It's good to see all your faces, and um, some faces I don't know, and others which are well and truly familiar. I'm normally at the street, but over in city. Um, so we, I've, I've been there this morning, and we're doing an all-in service this morning at our morning services, and so that means all the kids are in, so it's kind of organised chaos back there. Um, but it's really fun. It's good. So good to be, good to be here. Thank you for having me. And we are at the end of a little series called Redefined, as you know, and today is the last of our Redefined sermons. And um, this is messed with me, this, this uh, sermon series. It's not been easy. And what we're coming into is Luke 6, and that's where we've been for the last three weeks. Over, the, uh, over these last few weeks, we've been learning from this sermon. This is a sermon that Jesus gave. And I reckon it's the most challenging sermon you'll ever hear. I really do. And I think it's absolutely rotten uh, that some of us have to get up here and preach Jesus' sermon. <laughs> How are you supposed to do that? Isn't it good enough? <laughs> Doesn't it just stand on its own? Why not just stand up here and say, read it, <laughs> do it, <laughs> see you later? <laughs> it's this epic sermon um, where Jesus presents to us a kingdom, uh, the kingdom of God, where he is king. And he, he talks to us about this kingdom which values things that other kingdoms don't value and doesn't value things that other kingdoms do value. And then he tells us about the subjects of the kingdom, the people, and he tells them about the inclinations of the hearts of people who are in the kingdom. They are amazing heart dispositions, attitudes, and ways. And then he tells us more about the subjects of the kingdom. He tells them about how they relate with each other. And I don't know about you, but honestly, as I have been on the receiving end of this sermon over the last few weeks, what's happened is that it's almost like as, as I have examined the sermon, the sermon has examined me. Wow. Because it's just nuts. 
It's incredible. And, and he, he preaches this sermon, and I'm, I reckon that probably the, everybody's jaws were dropped and they're overcome with how, with how crazy this is. If, if it examines me, I'm sure it examined them. And they're all sitting around on this big grassy plain and they're drinking it all in and everything. And then we get to, to my bit here, the bit that, that I've been asked to kind of represent of Jesus. And it's the conclusion of the sermon. And if you, man, if it was an epic sermon, this is an epic conclusion. And he, what Jesus does in this conclusion, and again, what he's already done here is he comes with a question and he comes with um, an illustration. And so as the preacher, I don't need to add another question and I don't need to think up an illustration. It's actually just, it's here. Read it, do it, see you later. But as Jesus concludes this sermon, he tells a tale of two builders And in telling the tale of two builders, he describes two kinds of builders and two kinds of houses or lives. He describes those lives which are well built and they stand up to the storms of of life. And then he describes those lives which are not well built and they collapse and are devastated. And I think as I get to the very end of this, he finishes his words and there's just a full stop. <laughs> and I'm going, what, no mood music? <laughs> Where's Jamie when you need him, Jesus? <laughs> Where's Caitlin? But he, does, he just, he, to, to my thinking, I think he just walks away. And just leaves them with it, which is quite mean, <laughs> or quite hard at least. This is not an easy conclusion to a sermon. I'm just warning you. This is an epic ending to an epic sermon, and it's hard. And I think we better pray. And so, Lord Jesus, we bow before your word. And, oh, God, would you examine us to the extent that your eyes will go. We listen to you now, Lord. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. And so the very verse, very first verse, verse 46, Jesus says this. You ready? Why do you call me Lord? Lord. Twice there, in other words, passionately call me Lord and do not do what I say. And I could walk away now, couldn't I? Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and and do not do what I say? And that's a fair enough question. Jesus is asking this question of all the people that are listening and he's effectively now asking it of us and these people, these people that he's first speaking to, they have come. And that's good. Tick. And they are listeners. And that's good. Tick. They call him Lord. That's really good. Tick. Maybe two ticks. Lord, Lord. And yet Jesus says to them, I can see a glaring inconsistency here. 
because you're calling me Lord, but you're not obeying what I'm saying. Hmm. Lord is a title we don't use all that often. Um, I think Nick would quite like it if we did, if I called him Lord. <laughs> but we haven't tried that yet. I don't intend to. But it's not a title that we use all that often, but back then it was, it was more common. And it's, it's a relationship title. It's a title which, which signifies a particular type of relationship. And that particular type of relationship is a master-subject relationship. The master, the subject, the word Lord. It's a particular kind of relationship. And Christianity at its very core, at its very core, at its very core is a relationship of submission to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Christianity, what does it mean? It means master, Lord, and subjects who are submitted. That's what Christianity is all about. And it begins for every single one who enters into, becomes a Christian. For every single one, it begins with a profession of lordship. And so we read in Romans 10 verses 9 and 10, if you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. So there's a profession that he is Lord, and that's how it all starts. And so when one of us comes and we say to Jesus, Jesus, you are Lord, not just Lord in general, but right now I come to you and I ask you, be my Lord. Right now I enter into that relationship where you are master, you are Lord, and I am subject to you. And I've just become a Christian when I do that. That's what that means. That means I am saved or I am born again or I have become a Christian or I've entered into the family of God. Lots of ways we can describe it, but that's what that means. That's what it's all about. And so in that moment when, when one does that, you have laid the foundation for your life, for your new life. And the old is gone and you've started something brand new and you've entered into a lordship relationship with Jesus. The foundation is laid. You've obeyed him. You've entered in. And from that point on, you begin to build a life of following Jesus, a whole new life. That's what discipleship means, growing, building on the foundation of Jesus Christ is my Lord, my Savior, my King. So we profess him as Lord. But Jesus is saying, I see a problem. I see profession of Lord without practice of Lordship. Lord without Lordship is the most unreasonable sin. And it's interesting that it's also an extremely common criticism of Christians. Hypocrisy. Say one thing, do another, you're all words, that kind of thing, you know. Profession without practice. You know God's not looking for professors. God is looking for disciples who have professed Christ. And so let's have a think for a moment because Jesus is saying, why do you call me Lord but don't do what I've said? And 
the people that he's talking to in the first instance are the people that were right here listening. So what have they listened to? And how about us? We call him Lord. Have we done what he's told us? And so I think back to Jenny's sermon last week. And although I wasn't here, I've listened to it. And there were some really specific uh, steps forward, weren't there? If you were here, you'll remember. There were some really specific steps forward. And in particular, around what we're doing with reading the Bible and following what the Bible says. And so as you listened to that and Jesus spoke to you through that, have you acted on it this week? Why do you call me Lord, Lord, but you don't do what I say? I tell you what, one of the things that has most struck me, because there's been so much in this sermon, as I've read about how to treat people who backstab me and who have my, who are out to, to, to bring me down, and as I think about people who gossip or slander or, um, you know, whatever, they're opposed to me. You might say my enemies. And Jesus has told me how I am to be toward them. And he's told me I'm to love them. Now, I could, I could zip over into 1 Corinthians 13 and find out all about love and see, am I loving them? Hmm. And he tells me I need to forgive them. And he tells me that I need to spend time praying for them. Now, I've, I've heard it. It's been told to me. Lord, Lord, how am I doing in that? He's told me I need to be merciful just as my father is merciful. And that, and here's the bit, here's the bit, I'll be really honest with you, this is the bit that God's got me over about recently. He says, do not judge. And uh, someone, someone said the comment this week, judgy, judgy. And they were joking, but I think that the Holy Spirit just nudged me in that moment. Mm. And he said, yeah, you are a bit. <laughs> And so since then, what I've been doing with that is bringing that into the Lord. And in fact, I think it was the Lord that woke me up the other night to get me praying through the night into judgy, judgy. Confessing it and asking God to help me with that and learning a new way. So many things. And of course, they did, he was talking about these words in this sermon, but we've got the whole book, haven't we? And so he he goes on and he tells a tale of two builders. And let me read it to you. As for everyone who comes to me and hears my words and puts them into practice, yay, I will show you what they're like. They're like a man building a house who dug down deep and laid the foundation on rock. When a flood came, the torrent struck that house but could not shake it because it was well built. The one who hears my words but does not put them into practice is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. The moment the torrent struck that house, it collapsed and its destruction was complete. A tale of two builders, a tale of compare and contrast between these two builders. And to all accounts, pretty much everything was the same bar one thing. And that one thing mattered a whole lot in the end. You see, the first builder, before he began to build the house, he took, he took time to dig down deep and to lay a foundation on the rock. And passerbys can't see that. Don't judge. But passerbys can't see it, but boy, there's something significant that goes on with a foundation. It's underground, and, and it may not seem like a big deal, and, and I might want my money spent on curtains, but I really need a foundation. 
And a foundation matters a whole lot. A foundation gives strength, and it gives stability, and it gives resilience, and it, and it, and it gives integrity to the house as a whole. And the one built with it and the one built without it. And it wasn't, wasn't until the storms came that all was revealed. And the one who built with it, that house had a foundation. And when the storms came, it stood and the other one didn't. And Jesus says that if you build with a foundation, you're like the, if you, sorry, if you, if you obey my words, you're like the guy who built with a foundation. And you might think of verses like, if you know the Bible, James 1.22, which says, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Boy, that's a, that's a, big, a big statement there. Do what it says, James says. And the Lord says in Isaiah 29 verse 13, these people, they say that they're mine, they honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. All words. Let me divert just for a moment from the tale of two builders and we'll come back to them. But there is another builder and he's not mentioned here, but there is another builder. God himself is also a builder and he is building a house. And the house that he's building is the church, the church of Jesus Christ. In other words, it's every single follower of Jesus Christ built together into one building, God's house. And he also, God, in his building, being a good builder, he laid a foundation. And the foundation that he laid for the church is Jesus Christ. In 1 Corinthians 3.11, it says, For no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. So God laid a foundation, Christ, and he's building. Every single one of us who has laid that foundation in our own lives is being built into this building. The interesting thing that, that strikes me, though, about this building that God is building is that he has then gone a little further, and he has written on that foundation, and he has inscribed on that foundation two foundational statements across that foundation, and these statements the church is established on, and they are given to us in 2 Timothy 2.19. Where it says, nevertheless, God's solid foundation stands firm, sealed with this inscription, the Lord knows who are his. Now just pause for a moment there. That's the first statement. Do you know what? If you have given your life to Jesus Christ, God knows. And you can rest assured that no matter what, God knows God knows you. God won't lose you. God won't forget you. God won't mistake you for someone else. The Lord knows who are his full stop. Oh, man, I'm grateful for that. And the second statement challenges me. It says, and everyone who confesses the name of the Lord must Turn from wickedness. The foundation of the church. The grace of God. I know you. I've saved you. I won't lose you. You are mine. Indeed, I've inscribed you on my hands, right? And the next statement, live it. Turn from wickedness. Do what I say. 
You're a follower of Jesus, not just a professor. Wonderful. And so we come back to the two builders and the houses and the storm. What is the storm? Well, there's a couple of things. First of all, there's, there's the stormy seasons. There's the stormy seasons, the difficulties that strike our life. There's those things that are common to us. And, and for some of us, we have things that are not common. And they're harder and they're tougher. And, and boy, my heart goes out to you if you're one of those people. It's harder than the norm. But there are seasons of difficulty no matter who we are. There's, our lives are, are, are accosted by these difficult things, these floods and these storms, these disappointments and failures and pains and diseases and hardships and deaths and sorrows and tragedies and all these things. These are the normal storms of life. And if we, will, if we will listen to God's word and if we will read God's word and if we will store it away in our hearts, then what happens is this. When the storms of life come, and they do and they will, we have an inner resilience. We have an inner structure. We have something to base ourselves on that will not change. And so we can stand in a room like this and continue to sing those very words we've sung today. All your promises are yes and amen. And so difficulty does not equal destruction for a follower of Jesus. And, and that's one kind of storm. There's another kind of storm, and it really is, I, I believe, what Jesus was really getting at here in the, in the, in the scripture here. And that is a, a storm which is God's judgment at the end of time. God's judgment of us after we die and we stand before him because the Bible tells us that that's what's been appointed to us, that for every single one of us, we will die and face judgment. God promises that and all his promises are yes and amen. And so there are two separate judgments, two separate judgment seats. One is for Jesus followers, believers in Jesus Christ, and one is for everyone else. And I just felt the Lord lay on my heart to bring this to you today. And I know this is a hard teaching, but I, I know Jesus never shied away from the hard teachings. And so let's just go there. Um, so Romans 10 tells us in, in verses 10 to 12, it tells us about the first judgment seat. And that is called the judgment seat of Christ. The Greek word is the bema seat. And it says that we will all, for we will all stand before God's judgment seat. This is speaking to Christians at this point, to followers of Jesus. So followers of Jesus, we will all stand before God's judgment seat. So then each of us will give an account of ourselves to God. The judgment seat of Christ is that place where the follower of Jesus will be judged. And every single believer will give an account of ourselves to God. And the Lord will judge the decisions that we've made since the foundation was laid. Not before. That's covered. Right? That's gone. That's paid for. But now, as we are in Christ, God will then judge what has happened since the foundation was laid. And what happens here is that we can't, we can't pay for sin that we do after we're saved because it's been paid for. But what God wants to do is he wants to reward us. And so that's what this judgment is all about. And so what happens is everything that's been done which brings glory to Christ 
is, is judged and everything which is done which does not bring glory to Christ is judged. And, so, and it's burnt up. So in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, it says this, but each one, and this is starting just at the end of verse 10, but each one should build with care for no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. If anyone builds on this foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay or straw, their work will be shown for what it is because the day will bring it to light. Nothing's hidden, is it, when we stand before God? It will be revealed with fire. That's the judgment of God. And the fire will test the quality of each person's work. If what has been built survives, the builder will receive a reward. If it's burned up, the builder will suffer loss, but yet will be saved, even though only as one escaping through the flames. That's the judgment seat of Christ. How are we building? Are we building with what will last? Are we building our lives in such a way that they will last? Or are we just spending our lives on stuff that will burn up? The second uh, judgment seat is the great white throne. And this is the judgment seat where those who are not in Christ, those who have not yet made him the Lord of their lives, will stand uh, after death. And I'm going to read to you what Revelation 20 says in verses 11 to 15. It says, Then I saw a great white throne, and him who was seated on it, that's the Lord. The earth and the heavens fled from his presence, and there was no place for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and books were opened. These books were the accounts of these people's lives. Another book was opened, which is the book of life, which records the names of all those who have given their life to Jesus. The dead were judged according to what they had done as recorded in the books. The sea gave up the dead that were in it, and death and Hades gave up the dead that were in them, and each person was judged according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. The lake of fire is the second death. Anyone whose name was not found written in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. Everyone at the great white throne is a person who has refused to receive the Savior, is a person who has not made Jesus the Lord of their life. And therefore, they're doomed to the lake of fire. This is not a judgment as to whether a person is saved. They are at the great white throne because they have refused salvation. Unbelievers will be judged according to their good works. But here's the thing. It speaks about books here. If every person's life were a book, and the contents of the book contained every single thing that you have done, and one day you stand before the holy God, and he takes your life book, and he opens it, and nothing is missing, and he reads your life, 
How do you know if you're good enough? What's the standard? What's the level? What's the cutoff point? Are you in or are you out? How in are you? What about him? What about her? If Jesus Christ's life were a book and it contained every single thing in his life, and what we'd find is his book has no sin in it, has nothing in it that would offend God, that would hurt, that would be wrong. Everything is perfect in his book. But for every other human being, it's a mixture. Good, bad, really bad, really good. Where's the cutoff point? The cutoff point is actually Christ. His book is perfect. And ours isn't. And so for every single one who stands before that judgment seat of God, we will be sent to the lake of fire if that's the book that God's looking at of our life. Because it doesn't pass. Because he's perfect. But here's the amazing thing. God loved you so much that he sent his son, Jesus, to come and to die in your place. So that anyone who believes in him will not perish, but will have everlasting life. And so right now here today, you have an opportunity to profess Jesus as your Lord and your Savior. And if you will do that, if you haven't done that, then I've already told you what's going to happen. It's written here in the Bible. It's black and white. But if you would like to right now, give your life to Jesus and invite him to be your Lord, your Savior, then God will perform this miraculous transplant. And what he will do is he will take out the entire contents of your life, of your book, and he will put in the contents of Christ's book into your life, in your place. And he will write you into the book of life. And that is salvation. That is the good news. That is the gospel. And that's how serious it is. And so this final storm, like no other storm, this final storm of judgment will reveal all. It will reveal whether you actually have the foundation Jesus Christ, or whether you're just, I don't know, maybe a pretender or whatever. The warning is real. And so right now, as we, as we finish together, you've got an opportunity, and I'm going to lead you in prayer. You've got an opportunity to be one of those people who says, I want that change, and to profess Jesus as your Lord. And I'm going to lead you in a prayer to do that. Remember that Romans 10, verses 9 and 10 says, If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Along with that, um, so just hold on to that for a second. If that's you, we're going to go there in just one second. But along with that, there are others of us here today who we have professed Jesus to be our Lord 
He has replaced our sin with his perfect record. Um, we are saved. We know that. We, when we hear God knows who are his, we're like, I'm one of them. I know that's true. I'm a believer in Jesus Christ. I've got that foundation. But maybe God has been challenging you about calling him Lord, Lord, but not doing what he's already told you. And if, if that's the case, we need to change that. We really need to change that. It's not just about you. It's actually about all the people who need you to change that so that you can reach them with the gospel, so that you can disciple them as followers of Jesus. And so maybe right now you know that you haven't been living under the lordship of Jesus Christ. And and you've been half-hearted or hard-hearted or complacent. It's just like, you know, you gotta you gotta come to him today. You gotta confess that to him today. You gotta ask for change. Maybe there's something that um, that God has told you that you know the word of God has said, stop doing that. But you keep doing it. You say, Lord, Lord. You can't, you can't really say, no, Lord. It doesn't work. But, Lord, later, Lord. It's not consistent with the word Lord. For some of us, there are things that God has told you, stop that. And this needs to be a lordship moment for you. He'll help you. Your fellow believers will help you too. And then for for some of us, there's something that God has been saying, do this. And you're just procrastinating. Delay tactics. And God is saying, no, do it. This is crazy, but I just wonder... I feel like maybe somebody God has said to you, offer to mow the lawn of that person. It might sound really stupid, but if that's you, and if God has said that to you, do it. That's just one example. All sorts of different things where God could be saying, do this. And you're like, nah, maybe Lord. Why do you call me Lord, but you don't do what I say? Lordship. And so 1 John 1, 9 is to... Jesus followers with a lordship issue. Put your hand up if you're one of those. (laughs) Kind of all of us. And so it says this, if we confess that, if we confess our sins, our God, he is faithful, he is just, he will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Start to obey today. Would you stand? Do we have time for a song here? Yeah, Jamie's always got time for a song. (laughs) Let me lead you in prayer. Um, And first of all, for for those here who might be saying, yeah, it's time for me to give my life to Jesus. I know that if I were to meet my maker today, I would stand before the great white throne. And when the books are opened, he would be looking at my book 
and I don't stand a chance. And so right now you need to give your life to Jesus. I'm going to lead you right now in a prayer where you can do that. Don't depend on, oh goodness, I hope so. Let's pray. Father God, I have heard this this morning and right now it makes me afraid. And you are a holy God and I am not holy. And so, Lord God, right now I ask that you would clean me from all my sin through the, through the cross of Jesus Christ. I repent, I turn away from all of my own way and I turn to Jesus. And right now I profess with my mouth that Jesus is Lord. And I believe in my heart that God, you have raised him from the dead. And right now I say, save me. In Jesus' name, I give my life to you. Be my Lord and my leader from this point forward. In Jesus' name, amen. Family, as we sing this song, I, I, I just feel like Jesus was, was um, not pulling any punches with this sermon nor with this ending. And honestly, if there's something where you know God's been speaking to you about something in your life and you haven't been walking in obedience in that area, um, then I, I would encourage you to actually move your body, come down the front, and kneel, if you can kneel, if your knees are up to it. Or do something else if they're not. But come here and actually say, God, I'm all yours. It's a a restart moment. And bring yourself back under that lordship of Jesus Christ as we worship now. I think we only have time for one song, so don't delay. And um, Simon and Jenny will have people here that can pray with you as well.